Our first scripture reading this morning is uh, from the first chapter of the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, found on page 155 in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the Gospel according to Mark, the 13th chapter, beginning with the 24th verse. Jesus says, In those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out his angels and gather the elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about the day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or at cock, cock crow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, Keep awake. The Gospel of the Lord. Uh, join your hearts with me in prayer. We come, O oh Lord, to this Advent season knowing that it is to prepare our hearts to receive. Remind us, O oh Lord, that you are giving all of the time. And so our receptive ears and hearts must keep awake to know you have come and abide with us. Amen. My Lord, what a morning. My Lord, what a morning. When the stars begin to fall, when the stars begin.
begin to fall. In every generation since Mark wrote this gospel, there have been faithful Christians who are obsessed with the end of all things. Traditionally, they have been those who are on the bottom, the defeated, the deflated, the despairing. Mark was written to such a people. This gospel was penned when the sayings of Jesus were put onto page at a time when Jerusalem, the place where Jesus had uttered these words, had been sieged by imperial armies. Titus was in the process of destroying the city and the temple. Hundreds of thousands were slaughtered. Tens of thousands were carried off into slavery. The temple burned. Its sacred objects taken out of the holy place and paraded through the streets to derision. When you are on the receiving end of the sword or the lash, there is comfort in thinking that this is not going to be the way things are forever. Someday, those who are hurting me, those who are stealing my dignity, those who are threatening even my life, Someday they're going to get theirs. That's why these words recur and find currency with oppressed peoples generation after generation after generation. Slaves in the 19th century America realize that slavery does not last forever and someday things will be set aright. And so these words of the prophets about the great and terrible day of the Lord frequently found their way into the songs of slaves and enslaved peoples. Curiously, spirituals and slave songs made a resurgence in the protests of the early 1960s. My Lord, What a Morning was sung by Joan Baez at a live concert in 1962 with particular emphasis on the words in the second verse, and hear the trumpet sound to wake the nations underground, a declaration that perhaps there was an insurgency in the American public that needed to be stimulated into action. I grew up among others, the ones who were apocalyptically obsessed. Had the tri tribulation begun was a frequent question when I was a kid. Are you a mid-tribulation rapturist, a post-tribulation rapturist, a pre-tribulation rapturist? Uh, when is the rapture going to happen? When a giant vacuum cleaner will suck all of the faithful off of the earth so that God can deal with the detritus and destroy. I grew up with sermons that said that Jesus was certainly going to return. You could take it to the bank. It was absolutely going to happen in 1974. And then again in 1976, and then again in 1987, and then again in 1996, and on and on and on and on. It seemed that no matter how often they were wrong, they could just miscalibrate and say, oops. It was as if they had missed exactly what Jesus is saying here in the Gospel of Mark and in the other Gospels. Jesus said, but about the day or the hour, no one knows. Neither the angels nor the Son, only the Father. So beware and keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. They never got the point 
There was an arrogance that pitted their charts and calculations against 19 centuries of Christendom who never had calculated the return. But aha, this particular discovery in the book of Daniel balanced against these verses in the book of Revelation and you throw in this sprinkle of Ezekiel and we figured it out even though Jesus said you can't and you won't. They understood that all who had come before were inferior to their calculation and wisdom and they missed the point. What Jesus wanted his disciples to understand was exactly the opposite. It's not about the end. It is about the waiting. That the faithfulness of the church is not how it will behave in the last few hours, but how we live in this long meantime. We're living now in an age of resurgent apocalypticism. There are some who name Jesus, who claim that this old world is destined for destruction. So we are liberated from all responsibility to it, of its careful stewardship. Burn it down, hollow it out, expend its last drops of value. God's going to destroy it anyway, so why not just gut it before the demolition? I'd suggest they're doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus is telling his disciples to do in the meantime. You don't know how long this world is going to have to serve us. So you'd better take good care of it all the time, no matter what. Because only the Father really knows how long this household of ours is going to have to hold us and future occupants. The angels don't know, not even the sun. So stay awake. In his last year of college, my brother Bruce lived in a house that was slated by the campus for demolition. They were to be the last inhabitants of the structure. He was at Wheaton College, and this particular all-male residence house was going to be torn down to make way for the Billy Graham Center, which now stands in its place. I was 14 years old when I went to visit him. He was 22. And to stay in a house that was managed by a bunch of 19- to 23-year-old guys that were unleashed from any expectation of a deposit return? Oh, could you imagine? Punch a hole in the wall? Sure, no problem. Ow. <laughs> Spray some graffiti? Yeah, there are cans there on the floor. Knock yourself out. Why not? Just dump it on the floor. Nobody cares. There was one engineering student that pointed out that we should probably stop punching holes in the weight-bearing wall in the living room because uh, the consequences may make the demolition a little sooner than we wanted. There's always somebody who decides to spoil all the fun. But that's the problem with living in the vision of an impending apocalypse. We end up destroying the household, thinking that we have no responsibility. The place gets trashed. Now, where I to stop here and suggest that this gospel lesson is nothing more than uh, a, a bid for ecological responsibility, I would be selling Jesus' words short. If the master leaves us in charge of the household until the master returns, then upon his return, 
if all we have to show for his absence was the fact that we kept the place in pretty decent shape, that would be a really low bar of expectation. The master could return and fairly ask for a review of the books to inquire as to the welfare of the household. Are all the people doing well? Are the children learning? Are the elderly respected? Is there enough food? Is the well water still sweet? Are the workers fairly compensated? Is the name of the owner still respected? There's currently a subset of American political actors who believe so firmly in the master's imminent return that they're willing to trash the master's house, legacy, and reputation, thinking in some weird way they're going to hurry his arrival. Fairness, dignity, equity, kindness. Those are all things that they believe are going to happen after the return of the master. And so in the meantime, uh, we're exempt from things like compassion and human stewardship and preferring instead deposit-free exploitation. They believe that we're living in a second advent. And this time Christ will return with a sword, not to defend the poor and dispossessed, but to affirm their prejudice, to slay those whom they have decided are evil, and grant to them the keys of the kingdom so that in the end they may rule. They neglect the Master's instruction to encourage the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounded, to offer cold water to the thirsty, to share bread with the hungry, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before the Lord. They behave as if their knee shall not bow. Their tongue will not need to confess the lordship of Christ, but instead their supremacy of interpretation, their power, their dominion will be confirmed with the return of the Lord. They think that the kingdom banquet has prepared for them is for they to dole it out. Missing that the invitation is not to the righteous, it is to the unrighteous. But the broken bread is not for the hungry, the cup is not poured for the thirsty, the invitation is not for the self-absorbed, but for the dispossessed. And we are called to mercy, not sacrifice, to the absence of the true master it becomes incumbent upon us to do the Master's work. Or as Paul said, in every way you have been enriched in Him, in speech, in knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in spiritual gifts and wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in a few moments we are going to have the privilege of celebrating another baptism. Isn't that great? Two baptisms in the last few weeks. Little Rosalina, who's sleeping very peacefully right now. Don't mess it up, Alex. <laughs> we'll be pledging ourselves to care for her, to instruct her, to love her into the best possible inclination of understanding God's love for her. Will we?
by our example, give to her a world worth having, a life worth living, a people worth loving. We are entrusted with the world that God has created and given to us, the same world that God deeply loves, loves so much that God gave. And we, awaiting here in Advent, once again, need to treat it and all who abide in it with the same giving love. We owe it to our Master. We owe it to this precious child we will baptize today. Amen. Let us stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth.